Hey everyone, and welcome back to my first season. This is part four in the series, Amazing Woman Doing Amazing Things. In July, 2019, my guest today accomplished her goal of visiting all 47 national parks of Canada. She is an environmental conservationist, a writer, and a photographer. She is an accomplished wilderness adventurer, Nordic skier, backpacker, kayaker, canoeist, cyclist, and world traveler. She is also a fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society and the Explorers Club. Her work has been published in Canadian Geographic Magazine, CBC News Online, the Explorers Club Far Afield Magazine, among many others. She is also on the board of directors of the Royal Botanical Gardens. Her book called Park Bagger was published in 2021 and it chronicles her adventures visiting all of Canada's national parks. Everyone, please help me welcome to my first season, author Marlise Butcher. Marlise, how are you today? Hi, uh, Greg. Thanks so much uh, for the warm welcome. Happy to be here. Well, thank you for taking the time and share your story with us here today. Now, normally what I do with my guests, I like to go a little bit, a little bit back. I believe you, you had an adventurous spirit from the time you were young. You were in the Girl Guides, correct? Yes. And that's where I got my love for camping and canoeing. My parents thought I was crazy because they are big city people. And, but I just loved it. And I just wanted to do more and more and get to know more about how to survive in the wilderness. And so I just went through girl guides and rangers, the older guides. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. Now, were you one of those girl guides that had the full sleeve of badges? Like I know, as I know, you can go, you can spend years in girl guides, right? Do you ever stop and oh, count how many badges? <laughs> you got? I used to, and girl guides have a sash of badges. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. right. So, yes, I had a sash of badges and those are all now on my camp blanket, which I've made into a poncho. And actually, I still collect badges from every place I go around the world, every national park uh, in every Canadian province. I collect badges and I still sew them onto that same camp blanket. Very nice. And am I right in that you, you grew up or were raised in Montreal? That's correct. Just outside of Montreal. Yeah, in Laval. Okay, now you got your your BCom from McGill University, and then you got an MBA from the school where I work, Concordia University, and then you got a chartered director from McMaster University. So that's pretty impressive, Marlies. <laughs> Thank you. And somewhere in between all of that, I also became a chartered accountant. Um, okay, okay. That's, but that's how I made my money in order to be able to afford to travel during my holidays and vacations. <laughs> Yes, which brings me to my next point. So before I read your book, I realized I knew nothing about national parks. I think I might have only been to one. I had no I assumed that every national park was easy to get to and easily accessible by car. I'm wrong. Huh. <laughs> I, exactly. I cannot right. believe I cannot believe like how like some and there was I think at one park where you couldn't go by boat couldn't go by plane so you had to charter a helicopter to get into this park correct that is right so the parks um uh, parks Canada has a mandate to set up a park in each one of the they've divided up the country to 39 regions so they have a mandate to set up a park and preserve a piece of land a piece of the area in each of those 39 areas so of course a lot of areas don't have roads now, that doesn't mean that visitors aren't allowed to go to the parks. Of course, they are. That's why it's a park. You're allowed to go. The challenge is how to get there. 
<laughs> yeah. And this is where I guess the education and getting a good job comes in because at one point you have to get creative, right? Like, okay, I can go, but how am I going to go? Do I go in a group? So, and I, I believe a lot of your, your visits were, were in groups with groups of people, right? Oh, yes. Um, I'm an opportunist. Uh, uh, why would I reinvent the wheel if there's an outfitter taking people into the park? Great. I'll go with that outfitter. If, it, if I can drive in by myself, great. I'll drive in by myself and uh, just car camp. But yes, there are times where I really had to figure it out on my own. And that's where the experience and all that education, also the, that background knowledge from Girl Guides camping and everything I've learned since then came into use to get me to those really remote national parks. And since this is a travel and tourism podcast, and we do love a good travel horror story here, I love the uh, the chapter five, uh, when you went to Kausiatuk. Yeah, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Okay, I'll let you just explain a bit. I know the sun never rises. Yes, it doesn't set because it doesn't rise all summer. It is up. Yes. And not only that, if you can just briefly explain, like you, it took you eight days total to get to this park, right? What 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 kept happening that it took eight days? Well, anytime you travel, so Kelsey Etook is on Bathurst Island in the high Arctic. And anytime you travel in the Arctic, your travel is dictated by weather. And uh, we had planned two days to get there to this national park. We had chartered a plane from Resolute Bay to get us into this national park. And yeah, uh, we couldn't get from Ottawa to Iqaluit because there was fog and winds in Iqaluit. So we were stuck in Ottawa one day, two days, the next day. Finally, we make it to Ottawa. Then we can't get to uh, Resolute because there's fog and rain and uh, winds in Resolute. And we fly and then have to return and fly, try again and fly and not, we can't land. We're go back to our bakes. So it took eight days because of weather to get to that national park. Good Lord. Did that make you more stubborn to see it through? Or did you like at one point say it's not going to happen? Uh, no. Well, we, we, every day when we had a delay, we, the group of us, we were four people each day we discussed, okay, do we, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Oh, we also had to find a different hotel every day night because the hotels we were staying at they would be booked so each night we were in a different hotel during those eight days and we kept discussing each day and we came to a point where we realized you know what the sunk cost of getting here of all the flights and we would still have to pay for that chartered flight uh into the national park so yeah let's do it go for it <laughs> it was um the group of us said yep we're doing it uh, i apologies one one of the gentlemen uh one of the guys could not make it uh he was working with parks canada and he was being sent to not so much to accompany us but more to keep track of um what was of interest to uh visitors so that they could put together a program perhaps for future visitors but uh, as the costs, the hotel costs kept mounting, uh, they unfortunately, Parks Canada pulled the plug on him and he could not come with us. It was really a shame. So it ended up only being three of us into that park. Wow. And is it true that uh, only when, like you would realize at one point that you had been to just over over half, like at that point, had you did you not know that you had covered a lot of them? And then that's when you said, well, I, I made it halfway, I should... 
I should see the rest. Uh, you started really this journey started as you were growing up, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So, um, no, I never really paid attention um, to, and I never like tick boxes or anything, which parks I'd been to. I wanted to see the country. I was paying attention to seeing the provinces, uh, but not necessarily the parks. And it was more people talking with me, um, my colleagues and, oh, you've been to a lot of parks. They began noticing the trend there. <laughs> Because every time I went to another province, I'd go and visit the parks, part of the province, right? And yeah, that's about, I don't know, 15 years ago, um, perhaps a little bit longer now, where I realized I counted them up and kept track of them. And oh, yeah, I've been to over half the parks at that time. And oh, why not go and see them all? And that just became my mission. I became obsessed with it. To the point where I stopped, uh, not completely stopped, but largely stopped uh, traveling in the rest of the world and concentrated on Canada and our national parks. Because, of course, there are 47 of them, so there's a lot to see. Are you the first person to do this, or are there others? So I am the first visitor to all the national parks. I don't, I don't know if uh, Parks Canada personnel have been to all of them. But as far as visitors go, yes, I'm the first visitor to all the national parks, all 47 of them. And uh, That's pretty incredible, right? Considering the population of Canada, right? That you're the, well, you're the first. It was not my objective to be the first person. It was just my <laughs> objective to see them all. But there's also, you get to know there are a few other people trying to visit them all. And we work together when we can. We're not in competition with each other. We help to each other. We work together. So, for instance, in Tukalsiitok, the other couple that I went with, they too are trying to see all the major parks of Canada. And our paths crossed. We contacted each other. And, yeah, we'll work together to get to Tukalsiitok because there's no way in. We have to figure it out ourselves. Let's work together on that. Yeah, and just so listeners think this is a, uh, you know, that, that Marlies is going glamping. Oh, please guess again, because you went through some horrible uh, conditions. Just your just your descriptions of the mosquitoes make me never want to go to a national park ever. Okay, because it's uh, you you have to wear the special netting, right? You have to sleep like this, and yeah, bug nets are very useful. Screens are very useful. Some parks, uh, such as Wood Buffalo National Park, yeah, definitely take the screen with you um, and netting. Yeah, they have. Um, uh, log cabins that you can rent. The log cabins are great, but the most important thing about the log cabins is they have a screened-in porch. <laughs> so right. yeah, and and I'm not even mentioning the, you know, often it's the extreme cold that you subjected yourself to. I mean, heat sure is another one, but the cold. Uh, I mean, my favorite probably chapter is chapter six when you're in the Arctic tundra. Now getting back to how you're the first visitor to visit all national parks, it makes sense because you annually placed yourself on this list that required three people to make this trip feasible. All right. Parks yeah. Canada puts a notice on Facebook and it turned out you were, <laughs> is this true? You were the only one to apply. Yeah. They didn't tell me that. They uh, just <laughs> said, yeah, you, you know, we're so sorry. There's not enough people who applied. That was a nice way of saying there's no other people that applied, but then as it turned out, they, um, decided to invite a couple of journalist folks and uh, to advertise and to make that park more known. And they it's funny because they actually asked me if I was okay to have these journalists come along. And because the journalists are their guests, they are going to provide the food for the trip as well, food and a cook and everything. And so would I mind that? It's like, 
oh, let me think about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have to bring my own food, my own freeze, freeze dried food and cook myself. No brainer. And then they went on and said, uh, the next paragraph said, also because they want to show off the best features of this park to these journalists to highlight the park and advertise the park, right? They're going to bring in a helicopter on day four, I think it was, to take us to this grand waterfall. Uh, what, do I have a problem? With, but because of that, the helicopter, the cost of the helicopter, the uh, trip will be a day shorter than originally planned. Would I have a problem with that? Hmm, let me think. Why they don't know who they're talking to, right? Yeah, I don't think this is a problem. Yeah, yeah, let's go. This is even better than originally planned. It's like, yeah, a day shorter, fine. I can live with that. I, like I said, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm still amazed that you're the only one that applied. I'm so amazed that, like I said, I looked up the population in Canada in 2015, which was 35.7 million, and you're the only one that applied to see this, this park. So yeah, yeah. You're much, much, much tougher than me. I thought I was tough before I read your book, but like the things you subjected yourself to and, and, and Martin, your husband, wow. I kind of think of a better, I mean, gung-ho adventurer. Uh, I mean, he, I guess he doesn't, I guess you would, I would say you are much more adventurous, but I think you have a great partner there. Yeah. Well, he won't come into the Arctic with me. Um, he has a thing about cold. So me too. But he does come into all the Southern parks or most of them with me. And um, yeah, he's gung ho. And yeah, we quibble like all couples do. And uh, it's all part of the fun. And yeah. Yeah. I feel Martin, I should be best friends because I, I hate the cold as well. <laughs> but, you know, and I think at one point in chapter eight, you mentioned, I think to, I guess, in preparation for the Mackenzie Mountains or whatever, you would find yourself on Lake Ontario in March, okay, cold March morning, uh, and you would whitewater paddle, correct? Yes. Okay, why, why would you do that? Okay, so the Nahani River, uh, so the Nahani National Park Reserve, that river is largely a whitewater river. Now, you can do it rafting, but... I've been rafting. Rafting is a lot of fun. It's, um, but I always figured, you know what, it would be a lot more fun if I was in control. And that meant I had to paddle white water in my canoe. And so I started taking courses. And um, uh, for many years, I just kept advancing in my white water skills. And here in Southern Ontario, you start in March when the water is running quickly, the winter runoff, the melt um, and you start on the smallest of the rivers and uh, yeah, there's still ice on the side of the rivers. Uh, you wear wetsuits and pack on the clothing. Um, oh God. Okay. And it's, it's a, it's an adrenaline rush. So it is? The, the cold doesn't really matter. It's just one hell of an adrenaline rush. You get addicted to it. Yes. Really? Oh, oh. hell yeah. Okay. Um, but it, but oh, in the, in the winter? <laughs> oh, sure. Oh. Um, because you, it's, it is, you are on point the entire time you have to be, your mind has to be clear. You're with it continuously. And it's just an amazing experience that you are in full control of what nature is throwing at you. In this case, a, a rolling whitewater river. I like whitewater rafting in the summer, but you know, I, I don't know if I would, no, I would never, I don't say if, no, I would never do that in March. So again, you're, <laughs> I applaud your toughness because, you know, I respect toughness, you know, more than strength. And can I, can I say like how impressed I am? Like you're tough. Not only that, <laughs> look, look what you do now. You go to the Southern Rocky mountains and for some reason it's minus 40 and you go snowshoeing. 
right? I mean, yeah. well, what else am I going to do? Sit around in the side of the cottage all day? I, I would. I would be crying in a blanket <laughs> if I went. Yes. Okay. Just make yeah. it stop. Make it stop. <laughs> no, I was there to see the park and I, uh, I I wanted to see some of the parks in the wintertime, get the winter experience and water to national parks in the wintertime. Yeah, it can go down to minus 40, minus 35, minus 40, less than below minus 40. So it's like, what else are you going to do? Slap on the snowshoes, bundle up and go. And it's amazing. Even with that extreme cold temperature, there's a lot of snow happening in the mountains. So it was an awesome experience. Just sometimes making your own tracks in the snow and trying to find the trails. And um, yeah, it was great. The only advantage I see about doing that is that in minus 40 is that there's no mosquitoes. Okay. But uh, true. <laughs> I don't know which one I would hate more, the minus 40 or the mosquitoes. <laughs> it's a fine line. <laughs> now <Or> in mosquitoes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So in chapter 32, you, you, Hudson Bay, you go to, is it Wapusk? Wapusk? Yeah, Wapusk. So this is, I mean, I don't know how many people think about this. Maybe not many people. I, I certainly would want to come up against a bear or a polar bear. But I think when you arrived, they had just uh, tranquilized one and were going to be moving it from, from the place it was hanging around, right? Yeah, that, so that was in Churchill. So I have to tell you that to go and see the polar bears, the tundra buggies trip in Churchill, Manitoba, to see those polar bears in November, uh, while they're waiting for the ice to form so that they can go out to fish for, well, fish, go catch seals to eat, that was probably the best experience, the overall anywhere in the world. I would rank that trip higher than even traveling down the Nile and seeing 5,000 years of human history. To see those polar bears was amazing. Um, so you fly into Churchill or take the train, uh, if it's running now again, into Churchill, Manitoba. And sometimes the bears uh, wander into the town and um, to get rid of them, they, they will tranquilize them and then airlift them in a big net dangling from a helicopter far away from the town. And that was the day I arrived. Actually, the hour after I arrived, they were doing one of those uh, airlifts of this polar bear out of the town. And we were able to, we were very close to this thing. And they are huge. It's unbelievable. Their paws are like dinner plates, the size of dinner plates. And yeah, then from um, Churchill, Manitoba, you can take uh, helicopters over Wapusk National Park itself. You can't land in Wapusk during polar bear season because we don't want to disturb the bears, right? They're all hanging around the shoreline again, waiting for the ice to form. And uh, just amazing to see them. Even taking the tundra buggies from Churchill itself, every day they take you out and you're safe in these monster huge trucks. And you see the mother bears with the cubs, the koi's, the cubs of year, and the two-year-old cubs also wandering around all around you. It is awesome. It's the opposite of being in a zoo. You're the one in the cage and the animals, the polar bears are wandering around doing what they do. And yes, especially the young ones are curious what we are. Do remember, um, we are not the top of the food chain. People are food from their perspective. Anything that moves, any animal is food from their perspective. So yeah, but absolutely amazing experience. I would highly, highly recommend going to uh, Churchill, Manitoba and seeing the polar bears. And then of course, to Wapusk National Park. 
And you've also been to parks that had wolves, wolves, correct? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, we've had good wolves. We have bad wolves. Um, yes. <laughs> did, it, did it ever happen you were, I don't know, taking a picture of a beautiful, pristine lake and, you know, you hear a twig snap and behind you, I, I don't know, something was watching you like a moose or a wolf. Did that ever happen to you? Like... Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, actually, in um, Water Wood Buffalo National Park, I was hiking all by myself. I was in that park by myself and there's nobody else around for quite some distance. And I was just hiking down this trail and there's this really neat little lake that I wanted to take. It was more of a pond, let's say. I wanted to get a good photograph of it and I had to step off the trail to, so I didn't have the tree right in front of me between me and the lake. And so I step away from the trail, a couple steps over towards the lake. I'm just at the edge of the lake and my camera goes click and next to me on the other tree, behind the other tree, there's a snap of a branch. And I look around, there was a buffalo over there, a bison. And it had been lying down on the ground. That's why I hadn't seen it. And it stood up and stepped on a twig, got my attention. We were just a few feet apart. It looks at me, I look at it. We're looking at each other's eyes and who's gonna move first? And I am ready to tentatively take a step backwards away from this thing. It's huge. And as I'm about to move, it decides it's going to move. And it turned around and went barreling through the forest away from me. Um, It crashed every branch, every tree, everything in its way. What a racket. And finally, the, the, all the din calms down and my heart is thumping. And it's like, okay, settle. Just don't move for a minute. I don't need to move now anyways. Um, stop, relax. Okay, get back onto the trail and continue on. Now, is that, now is that what you're supposed, like, so you, we all know what you're supposed to do if a bear attacks or a potential attack. So do they tell you what to do with a bull moose? Did, is that what you, uh, did yeah. you do the right um, thing? So it wasn't a moose. It was a bison, right? Oh, a sorry. Bison. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, no, um, there's no real prescribed thing to do with them. They are not particularly dangerous, but you can't predict what they're going to do. And fundamentally I was too way, way too close to a wild animal, particularly one that's like 10 times my size. Right. That's right. Um, yeah. So were you journaling or, what what became your book, Park Bagger? Now, were you writing at, at the time that you were in the national park or did you only write uh, when you got home? Oh, gosh, no. I keep a very detailed travel journal. So every night when I get back uh, from my adventures before, like after dinner, before going to bed, I keep a very detailed travel journal of what I did in the day, what my feelings were, people I met, experiences, the highs, the lows. I also do it handwritten I don't I have not I try to do it on a computer well two problems with computer one is you need power for that so a lot of these parks of course (laughs) there's no electricity to be had and your batteries only last so long but the other thing I noticed is in my handwriting I can see how tense I was on the day or how comfortable or and sometimes there's squashed mosquitoes underneath the pen or the ink from the pen right so uh, my handwriting also gives away a lot of how I was feeling at the time. So yes, I keep a very detailed travel journal as I'm going when I'm in the parks and anywhere in the world for that matter. 
yeah, that became the basis of the book. Um, I would go back to the journal, read the, the chapter on that on that national park. I'd look at my photographs. Of course, all the memories come flooding back and write the adventures in the book. Now, so the book is not necessarily 100% chronological in that park because that would be boring. So I put it together so that it reads, that it's a fun read, that's an interesting read. It's all true. Things might have had a slightly different order. It's just if I just said the proper order, it would be boring to read. Okay. <laughs> and uh, chapter 33, so Hudson Bay, uh, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Ukusiksalik National Park, yes. Yes, that, that turned out at the time to be your, your last national park, right? Yes. That's 14 kilometers south of the Arctic Circle. Right. How was that trip? Uh, that was one of the more difficult ones to get to because um, that is, again, it's a polar bear birthing area. And so um, I had to hire uh, some Indigenous peoples, um, uh, Inuit from a nearby town to help go into the uh, park with me to be my uh, gun bearers to, for protection. It was quite challenging because nobody had been in that park for a while. Actually, the couple that had gone with me to the previous national park, Kausuitok, uh, they had been there. So they gave me some pointers. And um, yeah, the biggest challenge was really getting, uh, hiring somebody to be our gun, mo our bear monitor, our gun bearer, because uh, there were potential of polar bears in there. And again, we are food from a polar bear's point of view. And um, in the national parks, non-Indigenous people are not allowed to carry firearms. So we have to hire somebody to be our gun bearer. Most of the parks, it doesn't matter because there are no polar bears there. That's the only uh, thing that would be interested in eating people. <laughs> so only in the parks where there are, there's a challenge of polar bears, a chance of polar bears, that uh, we have to hire gun bearers to be our protectors for an uh, potential in um, contact with polar bears. Fortunately, when we were there in Ukusiksalik, remember we are in tents. There's no uh, safety to be had, but fortunately we did not meet any polar bears. We did meet lots of uh, caribou and the caribou were wonderful, but no polar bears, thank God. And when you visited this last national park, uh, there's this uh, famous quote about Alexander the Great. I was just wondering if it pertained to you. They said that when Alexander viewed the breadth of his domain, uh, he wept because he had no more worlds to conquer. So when you visit your last national park, and now at the time, there weren't any more, right? So, Correct. so before you knew that, did you feel, did you have a, a moment of satisfaction or did you want more? I felt well, it was two things. One is I did know that Parks Canada still had a mandate to open up more parks uh, because not all of their regions have parks set up yet. So I knew there would be more eventually. However, I also felt, oh, what do I do now until they open up those new parks? I'm done. What do I do with myself now? <laughs> that was more <laughs> the issue. It's, um, it was not so much, it's not so thrilling having been able to say I've seen them all and how great that was more that oh it's kind of an anti-climax what do I do with myself now huh of course I had to finish the book which was great and that helped me relive a lot of the national parks a lot of my adventures so that made it a little bit easier to take 
Okay. I, I don't want to pronounce this one, but I see that on your on your website. You have yet to visit the the new one they created, right? Um, I, yes, by Denny Nenny, and I'm yes. going tomorrow. I fly there. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Wow. Yes, finally, after uh, since uh, well, that by Denny Nenny was opened. Announced the announcement for by Denny Nenny opening was at the end of the 2019 season. And of course, uh, COVID came along, and therefore I could not visit in 2020. I could not visit in 2021. Although I was booked to go, it kept being rebooked, rebooked. And so now, 2022, I am finally going, and I'm excited to get there. And particularly because my hosts, the Indigenous people, the Dene from Lutsilke, it's a town that doesn't have any road access. They will be my hosts and they will be taking me into the park and we're going to camp their way. We're going to be fishing uh, or they will be fishing and we're going to be eating what we catch and exploring the land. They're going to show me their culture, their traditions, their way of living on the land. And I'm excited to, for that. Okay. And I hope weather-wise everything goes in your favor you don't have to sleep in eight different hotel rooms to get there so um, <laughs> my fingers are crossed for you <laughs> yeah um we take what we get you have to be flexible and you just go with it that's right now i i found something fascinating uh, in chapter 36 uh because i've traveled for 10 years and had my share of jet lag you know to asia and, and australia so I, I even wrote it down because i had never considered this so on your way home from the Arctic Circle, you went to visit your brother in Southern Ontario, and you had like a uh, jet lag, you were suffering from jet lag, despite not having crossed any time zones, okay, and then you explain that jet lag is actually when light and darkness happen versus when your body expects those. So what can you describe that feeling at all? Like not, because I oh. see what you're saying, like the, the uh, now, this, when you went to the Arctic Circle, I guess, does the sun, the sun does not uh, set, I, I assume? or yeah, or so in the Arctic, in the summertime, you have 24-hour sun. So uh, when you go to bed, you close curtains, or if you're in a tent, you put eye shades on so that to create darkness so that you can sleep because the sun is up 24 hours a day. Um, it's just because the tilt of the planet, it, the North Pole tilts towards the sun. In the wintertime, when the planet when planet earth is on the other side of the sun uh the north pole is tilting away from the sun and so they have 24 hours dark of course then when you head back south you're closer to the equator we're not quite at the equator but we're closer to the equator and we get that light and dark and so in my case coming down from the arctic in the summertime we're having had two three weeks of always sun and my body had adjusted to that um, coming down south and suddenly darkness is imposed upon me at 8 30 in the evening oh my body didn't know what to do with that and it is exactly jet lag um, the term jet lag is inappropriate uh, most people are going around the earth planet instead of top to bottom but it is the same thing it is your body expects light and dark to happen at certain times in my case it wasn't expecting dark at all and suddenly it's imposed on me and yeah that kind of nauseous feeling that headachey nauseous uncomfortable feeling and then you're sleepy but not sleepy yeah that's um it's exactly what jet lag is without the time zones wow i didn't think this was possible okay yeah yeah <laughs> 
So wow. it, was a, it was a rather interesting experience, unexpected, but interesting. And how does one become a fellow of the Explorers Club? Ah, so um, I am a fellow of the Explorers Club. It's an international organization based in New York City. And um, you have to have two other members sponsor you. So it's a matter of finding those other explorers. There are only 3,500, approximately 3,500 explorers of the Explorers Club around the world. You get invited by two members to become a member of the Explorers Club. And so I became a member in 2016. And uh, last year, after I published the, my book, Park Bagger, Adventures in the Canadian National Parks, uh, being published, I was promoted to fellow of the Explorers Club. And uh, yeah, basically it is exploration, field exploration, as opposed to tourism. So simply saying, oh yeah, I've been to 100 countries. Okay, you're a tourist. That's not an explorer. An explorer is somebody who looks for new things, um, who is finding and discovering and sharing the knowledge of what they have found and discovered in the field, as opposed to, say, in a laboratory. Okay. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. Now, in um, so I see, I see that in 2021, Parks Canada was mandated to create 10 new national parks. So do you have, other than the one that you're leaving for tomorrow, how soon or not soon do you think they'll announce the one, the next one, I should say? No idea. They keep that okay. close to their hearts. Um, okay, got very it. Very close. <laughs> um, so I have to be patient and just figure it out when they announce it. And uh, well, with so many new parks coming along, maybe there'll be a second book. Okay. Yeah, I was, was going to, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about your book. So I was curious if you're going to, once you go to this, this new national park, are you going to create like a, an, an addendum uh, or expand it or, or just create a new, uh, uh, write a second book? I don't know yet. I okay. will work with my publisher and find out what they prefer. So Rocky Mountain Books will dictate to me uh, whether they would like me to write an addendum with the new parks or another book. Uh, we will see but I'm open to either because I just love sharing the park stories, the adventures in the parks to inspire other people. It's amazing how many people have come to me and said, oh, I read this chapter on this park. I'm going next week or I'm, I'm planning to go uh, next month. Um, we've got, we're going because we were so interested in what you wrote. And yeah, that's so exciting for me. And the more I can do that, the more I can share about the parks get people interested, people understand what the parks are, the more people will want to protect the parks, protect the land and the animals on the land. And that's what it's all about. Yes. And where can people go to find your book? So uh, Park Bagger, Adventures in the National Parks and the Canadian National Parks is available at most bookstores, online at Indigo and also at Amazon. Uh, Amazon, actually anywhere in the world. It's actually interesting. I've seen it on Amazon Japan. I've called it up. I can't read anything there. It is The book is in English, but uh, the whole website's all in Japanese. And then there's my book. It's fun to see that. And you have your own uh, website as well, correct? Yes. So which is www.canadianparkbagger. So just Canadian Park Bagger will do it and you'll find me. Yes. We will we'll put the link in your episode description. 
Would you be able to tell me how, how you became a fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society? Well, yeah, the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, they have a mandate to make Canada better known to Canadians and the rest of the world. And of course, the Park Bagger book is about making our national parks known to Canadians and to encourage Canadians to visit them and to take interest and preserve them. So it just became a shoe-in. It was the perfect match to become a fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society. They invited me. And I've now agreed to become an ambassador for Canadian Geographic travel to, again, make Canada better known to Canadians and the rest of the world. Well, I can say for one, like having read your book, that yes, I know a heck of a lot more. And uh, you actually did make me want to visit national parks. <laughs> so mission I'm glad. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> that was That's the point. True. Yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Well, you've been so kind with your time. I really want to thank you for coming on and sharing your, your story, Marlies. Thank you so much. I so love to share these things and um, encourage others. Yes, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, everyone, that was Marlies Butcher. We're going to put all the links where to find her book and her website in the episode description. Thank you very much. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Say bye, Marlies. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. Enjoy the parks. <laughs>